You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Hear from the word of the Lord this morning. Titus 3, 12-15 When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. So people uh, on the east and the west coast, they always call the, the Midwest kind of flyover country. You know, our part of the nation is just something that uh, you only, they, they only ever really see from the windows uh, of the airplanes. Uh, we're really not as much of a destination as we are a place that people drive by on the way to uh, their destination. Uh, and unfortunately, when you think about that, uh, for Christians uh, in the Bible, there are also a lot of flyover parts of Scripture as well. Uh, verses that Christians simply skim past when they're doing their Bible reading. These are verses where Christians never really stop to get out of their car and to, to camp out in and, and stay in for a while, uh, which is why I love walking through all parts of a letter like Titus, from the introduction uh, to the very conclusion of the letter and to everything in between, because even though this letter is wrapping up, even in these last verses, there's still a lot of godly wisdom for us to glean from these final words. And something that I think that we're particularly prone to skim past uh, in particular is all the names we so often see in Scripture. We often just breeze right by them without really uh, giving them much of a second thought. Uh, And there are several names that are given here in the conclusion of Paul's letter, uh, some of which we know a lot about, some of which we don't really know hardly anything about, but these names, more than anything, really show you, um, you know, give you a broader picture of Paul's ministry and what was going on. Um, And they actually show you even some of Paul's own limitations as well, and how he compensated for them. Um, I know many Christians today, uh, there, there are those who would just really yearn to have a faith that is as vibrant as Paul's. You know, we say, if only I had that kind of perseverance or dedication or, or that strength that Paul had, man, I could just accomplish so much for the kingdom of God. Uh, but as mature of a Christ follower as Paul was, even he had his shortcomings, Uh, shortcomings that we actually all share as human beings, Uh, as finite human beings, uh, Paul, he was limited in both time and space, and so are we. 
because he wasn't God, uh, that meant that Paul was not eternal. His time on earth would eventually come to an end. And because he wasn't God, he also wasn't omnipresent either. He couldn't be at all places at once. He had to be very selective of where he chose to do ministry because he couldn't be everywhere. And so what I actually want to do this morning is we look through these final verses and at some of these names that Paul talks about uh, at the end of this letter. I actually want to look at some of these limitations of Paul and see how he compensated for some of these shortcomings. And I want to see how we can overcome some of these shortcomings as well. So let's first look at our limited time. There are a couple of examples of that that you see in this text. Uh, We'll look at the example of Titus first, uh, and then the example of Paul. Starting back there in verse 12, Paul writes, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. So what's happening in this verse? Well, you see, Paul is sending in Titus's replacements, Artemis and Tychicus. Now, we're not exactly sure why. You know, it's not clear if Titus is just taking a temporary break from ministry. Maybe he's going on vacation just to spend some time with Paul. Or it could be that Paul has a new assignment for Titus. So maybe his part of the work on the island of Crete is done And it's time to move on. But whatever the circumstances, Titus is leaving, at least for a season. And others are going to take his place. uh, And they are going to pick up where he leaves off. So Titus was preparing to leave Crete. That's one example. And likewise, Paul himself is actually preparing for his departure from this world. It's believed that Paul wrote this letter in the final year of his life. Uh, Many scholars believe that Paul uh, was actually arrested while he was in the city of Nicopolis, spending the winter there, the very place that he told Titus uh, to come and visit him. So we, we don't even know if Titus ever got to make this visit or if Paul was already arrested by then. So so literally, just months after writing this letter, Paul would be imprisoned in Rome for the second time, and and he wouldn't ever see freedom again. Shortly afterwards, he would be executed. Now, obviously, Paul couldn't have predicted the future. Um, He didn't necessarily know that these would be some of the last words that he would ever write, but I'm also sure he, he wasn't oblivious to this possibility either. I mean, Paul had already had a a number of close encounters with death during the course of his ministry. Uh, He'd nearly drowned on the way to his first imprisonment uh, in Rome. Uh, And he had been bitten by a poisonous snake on his way there, which by all accounts should have killed him. But by God's grace, it did not. Uh, Once in Paul's ministry, he was even taken outside of a city and stoned by the locals, and the only reason that they stopped stoning him was because they thought that he was dead. Most scholars believe that that experience left Paul uh, very disfigured uh, and nearly blind as a result of what he had endured. So Paul knew that his days were numbered. 
I mean, he was already an old man, and the trials of life had clearly taken their tolls on his body. And both the Jews and the Romans wanted him dead, so sooner or later their wish was going to be granted. I mean, Paul even said this himself in another letter that he wrote to a uh, young church planter named Timothy. Uh, At the end of the letter of 2 Timothy, Paul wrote, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So knowing that he wouldn't live much longer, what does Paul do? Well, he surrounded himself with others who would be able to continue the mission long after he was gone. Titus, Artemis, Tychicus, Zenus, Apollos, and a number of unnamed companions that were traveling with him that are mentioned in verse 15. So if you're taking notes, uh, this is the first takeaway that I hope that you'll take to heart today. Uh, Through the examples of both Titus and Paul, this passage encourages you to leave a gospel legacy that will last beyond your life. Leave a gospel legacy that will last beyond your own life. This is a theme that is echoed all throughout Scripture. Uh, James chapter 4 Verse 14, for example, um, it says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Um, If you see some fog as you drive down the road early in the morning, uh, one minute it's thick, it's dense, but then the sun rises and it doesn't take long for that fog to disappear altogether. If you're Sipping on a hot cup of coffee, you see that steam rising from it, and one second it's there, and then the second moment it's just gone. The Bible says that that is your life. So leave a gospel legacy that will last beyond the scope of your fleeting and momentary mist of a life. Which isn't to say that you should just leave behind any kind of legacy. I mean, there's no need for a lasting legacy that just celebrates you uh, and where you have your own name on all of the plaques and the memorials and you've got you know, a building named after yourself. Your name doesn't have to be remembered in order to make a lasting impact. But every day we should be thinking about how to prepare For a day when none of us are here any longer. Because there will be a day where none of us, myself included, who are here in this room will be here any longer. But but as long as people still live in Lewis County and throughout Northeast Missouri, there will always be a need for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what are you doing today that will have a gospel impact on tomorrow? How are we training up others to carry on the mission of God even after we have been placed in the grave? Let me share share with you a couple of examples of uh, the wrong way that this can be done uh, and a, a right way. 
First, the, the wrong way. Um, this is a, a true story. Not going to give any names, but, but I heard about a church here in Missouri, in our own state, that was getting ready to close their doors just a couple of years ago. And they only had a few remaining members who were all quite elderly, and they were getting ready to shut their church down for good. And they were trying to decide about what to do with their church's remaining resources. You know, they thought about selling their property and sending the money uh, that they raised to a missions organization to further uh, the advance of the gospel around the globe. But ultimately, that's not what they ended up deciding to do. Instead, they took the remaining money that was in their bank account and they set it up as a memorial fund. It was a fund to pay somebody to take care of their property uh, and to mow the church's lawn so that the church could stand as a monument to remind others driving by of that church's past accomplishments. And hearing that story, it genuinely broke my heart. I mean, their last act was to turn their building into just some kind of memorial rather than see it used to continue the mission of God. And I really believe that how the church handled their finances as they closed their door, that's a clear indicator of why they had to close their doors in the first place. Because they were no longer concerned with reaching new generations with the gospel or taking the gospel to new places around the globe. All they wanted to do is make sure that their legacy was left on display. Now, let me give you a more hopeful, uh, more positive example. Uh, there was a man who lived back in the 1700s, uh, and his name is really fun to say. Uh, his name was Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. Uh, I try to say that three times fast. Uh, and he's famous for a prayer meeting that he started. Most people don't get famous because of a prayer meeting, but he did. And he began urging his brothers and sisters in Christ to pray that God would bring spiritual renewal to his home country of Germany uh, and to Europe. And when the prayer meeting began, he and his church just didn't want it to end. So he set up time slots so that people could come and pray in continual succession, one after the other. And so as people began to pray for days and then weeks and then months and then years, and then when all was said and done, this prayer meeting lasted for a hundred years. 24 hours a day for an entire century. It continued on long after Zinzendorf passed away. And during this time, these prayer warriors actually sent out over 300 missionaries from their midst to places all across the globe to spread the gospel. And what's fascinating about uh, Zinzendorf's life is, is a very uh, famous saying that he is particularly known for. Uh, this was kind of like his life's motto, uh, but he is famous for urging others to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. 
That, that was kind of his life motto. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That's something that he would tell others uh, over and over again, which is, of course, very ironic that this man actually became famous for telling other people uh, to be forgotten. But, but there's actually a really important lesson to be learned there. Because that church that I was talking about that closed their doors, they wanted their name to live on. They, they wanted their building to become a memorial for others to remember, even if nobody gathered there to, to worship anymore. But, but soon enough, nobody is going to remember anything about that congregation. I mean, even the best preserved buildings eventually are going to decay, and that memorial fund is eventually going to run out, and that lawn isn't going to be mowed anymore, and the brush is going to overrun everything, and eventually what's left of that church is going to fade from memory, and it's going to fade from history. But hundreds of years later, we're still talking about Zinzendorf, who made it his mission to do nothing in life but to preach the gospel and die and be forgotten. So, so when you try to leave behind your own legacy, it's not likely to last for very long. Very quickly, it's going to begin to fade. But when you live your life today, trying to make a lasting impact for the kingdom of Christ, then you can leave behind a gospel legacy that will live on well beyond the scope of your life. So let the impact that you have on this church be like a gift for future generations who worship here. Don't leave behind a wake of headaches or problems for other people to deal with. At every church that you are a member of, try to leave that church in a better state than when you found it. All to leave a gospel legacy for a day that you won't personally see. So Paul and Titus, and all of us today, are limited on time. Uh, Titus was getting ready to leave Crete. Paul was getting ready to depart from this world. Uh, but as finite human beings, we're not only limited when it comes to time, but also when it comes to space as well. We're not omnipresent like God. We can't be in all places at once, which means that if we want to make any kind of sizable impact for God's kingdom, we're going to need help. Going back to those names that I had mentioned in these final verses, I already mentioned Artemis and Tychicus, who I said we're going to continue on the work that Titus began even after he left. You know, apparently Titus did so much work on Crete uh, that it was going to take two men to replace him. One wasn't enough. Uh, but then there's also Zenus and Apollos. They're mentioned in verse 13. Uh, and it seems like they were just passing through. They were probably uh, missionaries on their way to another part of the Roman Empire. Uh, and the Christians there at Crete were told to make sure that they lacked nothing. They were to make sure that they had everything they needed for the journey ahead. And as we think about this second set of individuals, I want to think back for just a moment about the great commission that Jesus once gave to his disciples. All the way back, Matthew chapter 28, 
Uh, Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus told his disciples to go and make even more disciples of all the nations. And that's the size of the task that he gave them. They're to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. And then he says that he will be with them to the end of the age, which gives you a pretty clear indication regarding the length of time it's going to take to accomplish this task. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm going to be with you over the next couple of weeks as you do this, or hey, I'm going to be with you over the next few months as you do this. This isn't something that's going to be accomplished in the disciples' own lifetime. This is going to be an ongoing work that will continue over the course of numerous generations until the very end of the age, until Jesus' return. So the Apostle Paul, who surely knew these commands of Jesus well, he knew that this was not a task that he had any hope of accomplishing on his own. I mean, the size and the scope of this mission was simply too big. So, so there needed to be missionaries like Artemis and Tychicus to continue the work there on Crete, but there also needed to be other missionaries like Zenos and Apollos to, to carry the gospel elsewhere and to watch it spread all across the globe. Now, the scriptures don't tell us a whole lot about Zenos. Uh, this is actually the only passage in the Bible that mentions him. But we do know a lot more about Apollos. And I love his story. Uh, he was a very prominent leader in the early church. Uh, but he came from very, very humble beginnings uh, back in Acts chapter 18. Apollos was an Egyptian Jew and because of his Jewish upbringing, just like Paul, uh, he was very knowledgeable in Scripture. Uh, but unlike Paul, who himself admitted that he wasn't a very skilled speaker, Apollos was said to have been very eloquent and very persuasive uh, when it came to speech. And so in Acts chapter 18, Apollos was going around to all of the local synagogues, and he was instructing others in the way of the Lord— and he was very persuasive, and there were many who were listening uh, to his arguments. But the catch is, is that we're told that Apollos didn't know anything more than the baptism of John. He'd heard about this John the Baptist guy. Uh, he knew what he was doing out there in the wilderness, and that Messiah that he was predicting would come. And so likewise, Apollos had preached that there was going to be this Messiah who would come as well, but he knew practically nothing about Jesus who had just come to earth as that Messiah that to take away the sins of the world. And so in stepped a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, Priscilla is the wife. Um, she's actually often mentioned before her husband in the Bible, uh, so it may be that she was actually even more well-known uh, and more influential in the early church than even Aquila. Uh, but we're told that they took Apollos aside 
and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Apollos knew scripture well, uh, but this wife and her husband, they quietly discipled him to understand it even better, showing him how it all pointed to the life of Jesus in his death and burial and resurrection. So Apollos came from very humble beginnings, from preaching about the Messiah without even knowing that Jesus was that Messiah, to being quietly taken aside and discipled by this mature Christian couple. And then from there, he became one of the most influential leaders in the early church. Uh, So much so that there became rival factions in some churches like Corinth, arguing over who was better, guys like Apollos or guys like Paul. I mean, they saw them as the first century equivalent of celebrity pastors. And so everybody had to, to have their own favorite. Paul was a bold and powerful writer. I mean, he'd written numerous letters, but Apollos, on the other hand, well, he was the better speaker. And so eventually Paul himself actually had to address the issue And he said that there was no need for Christ's body to be divided. Even though he and Apollos were gifted differently, both of them were equally vital and essential to Christ's kingdom. Paul was there to plant the seeds of the gospel. Apollos was there to water those seeds. But in both cases, it was only the Lord who grew those seeds into life. So so when you think about the life of Apollos, and you, you think about this, how, how does this apply to us? Well, here's the second application if you're taking down notes. And we, we've already saw that, that you are to leave a gospel legacy that will last beyond your own life. But this also shows that you are to make a gospel impact that is broader than your own life. You are to make a gospel impact that is broader than your own life. Uh, Reading through the New Testament and through stories of guys like Apollos, you you see someone who who became uh, as influential as the Apostle Paul himself, but who still would never have gotten anywhere without this godly couple taking him under their wings. The early church... They leaned on one another for support. They helped one another. They worked together for the advancement of the gospel. And this should completely dismantle any ideas that we have about what I call Lone Ranger Christianity. I'm sure you've all met a few Lone Ranger Christians, or maybe at times you've even been one yourself, These are the kinds of Christians who don't think that they need other Christians to help them through life. So like the old ranger, the lone ranger in those old westerns, um, everything they do, everywhere they go, they ride solo. They're not members of a local church, and they don't like submitting themselves to the authority of a local pastor. Some Christians even think that this idea is biblical, and they, that Paul himself was a lone ranger Christian at heart. You know, he was this meandering missionary who traveled wherever he wanted, all across the Roman Empire. 
He went wherever and just kind of did whatever he wanted to do. Uh, He didn't have to submit himself uh, to anyone. But that is not true. If you go back to Acts chapter 13, what you'll see is that the Apostle Paul was actually a member of the church at Antioch. And that church, after much prayer and fasting, they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out as missionaries. And then you fast forward to the end of Acts chapter 14, and Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch. And they had to give an account of all that they had done. They had to give an account to their brothers and sisters there in Christ at that church. There was nothing solo about Paul's ministry. Even he was under the authority of a local church. And he saw himself as just a single drop of water and a much larger bucket of water that was the universal church. Just look at verse 14 back in our passage today uh, where Paul says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Paul had never met many of the Christians there on the island of Crete. Uh, Paul wasn't on the island at the time that he wrote this letter, yet he sees the Christians there as our people. Not Titus's people, but our people. He he cares for them. He wants them to, to be devoted to living righteous lives. You can look at verse 15 as well. Paul says, all who are with me send greetings to you. Paul was commissioned and sent out by the church. And Paul took many brothers and sisters from the church wherever he went to minister. Because he understood that a single player was never going to be able to accomplish much on his own. To win the match, he realized that it was going to take a team effort. I mean, he had to to see... He had to see each and every individual who submitted their life to Christ as being on the same team as him. So if you really want to get to the heart of this passage, uh, what it is really all about and what the letter of Titus is really all about, here it is. And, And I even put it in the title of the sermon for you. You are important. Um, I want to make that clear. You know, you are important, but the church is even more so. You, You are important, but the church is even more so. I mean, the Lord loves you enough so that he came and died for you and he was raised on the third day uh, so that you would have an opportunity to spend eternity with him. So he obviously thinks that you are important, but the church, which you are a small part of, is even more so. And I'm not just talking about our specific church either. I'm talking about the broad universal church that was founded 2,000 years ago. It began long before you ever existed. And unless Jesus comes soon, that church will continue far beyond the span of your own life, long after you and I are gone and dead. That the church will continue beyond you 
And this church is so much broader than you as well. It exists inside so many different countries and cultures all around the world and in so many different languages. I mean, you could spend your entire life traveling the globe and you would still wouldn't see all of the places that God is at work and all of the places where he is continuing to build his kingdom. You are a part of something uh, that is much older than yourself and is much bigger than yourself. So again, you are important, but the church is even more so. So let us remember our own limitations as finite human beings, and let us try to compensate for those shortcomings by striving to leave a gospel legacy that will, that will last beyond your own life. And by making a gospel impact that is broader than your own life. All so that we can be a part of building up a church that is full of healthy leaders and that is filled uh, with healthy members. All so that we can have a healthy witness to a watching world. Because that is God's blueprint for building his church. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you so much just for the, the letter uh, of Titus. Uh, thank you for the, the truths uh, that it is filled with. Um, I pray even as we move on to study other parts of your word in the, in the coming weeks, um, I, I pray that, that we would not be quick to forget what we learned in these chapters Instead, may we be quick to apply all your wisdom and truth to our lives and to be more and more every day. Uh, may, may we just put our trust and our hope in the gospel of your son, uh, Jesus Christ, and in his death, burial, and resurrection. I may ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.